0: Good morning, church. Nice to see you today. Uh, the one, two, three, four of you that are in the room, including my daughter. nice to see you, sweetheart. And uh, great to sort of just know the rest of you are here virtually. My name's Darren. I'm one of the shepherds on staff, and we're continuing an ongoing study uh, in the book of Ephesians. Our series is called "Alive to Love." The idea that Christ, in His great power, has given us new life, and He's given us new life for a very specific purpose. We're going to see some of that revealed even in the text we have today. Now. Uh, in our ongoing study, we're in Ephesians chapter 3 this morning, so if you have a Bible, I invite you to turn it there. We'll also put the, uh, the text on the screens for those of you who might not have a Bible or one of our Ephesians journals right in front of you, but if you'd like to get one of those Ephesians journals, we've still got uh, you know, four chapters to go in the, in the midst of this study, and so we'd love to get you one of those this week. You can contact the church office and we'll figure out how to put one of those in your hands. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1 is the beginning of what I think Paul intended to be a prayer, a prayer that you and I would be rooted and established in the love of God, the purposes of God, which he's just articulated at the end of two. Now, because we had our Elder Sunday last week, you might need a little bit of refreshing, or maybe you're just joining us for the first time. So let me give you a little bit of refreshing. We talked at the very beginning of our study about the fact that what Paul will do here in this writing to these Gentile churches is he's going to take the first half of the book, the first three chapters, and he's going to try and stir awe in them. And so in chapter one, he talks about the fact that in Christ, which we are, those of us who are followers of Jesus are in Christ, in Christ we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing. At the end of chapter one, he prays for the church, he prays for us that God in his wisdom will remind us of all of those blessings and and our position in Christ, right? Then we come to Ephesians chapter 2. Again, he's still trying to stir this on us and he reminds us that the the position we have in Christ, the redemption and the freedom, the access to God is not because of who we are. It's not because of what we've done. It's not something we earned or accomplished. In fact, he says at the beginning of Ephesians 2 that it's a gift of God. It's not of our works. He reminds us that we were lost and broken and if it wasn't by the grace of God, you and I wouldn't have a relationship with Jesus to speak of. So the beginning of two, he reminds us where we've come from, the, the brokenness that all mankind is in. And then at the end of Ephesians 2, if you remember this from two weeks ago when, when Jeff was teaching, he talks about the fact that in Christ, Jesus breaks down all the barriers. God breaks down all the barriers, the, the covenants and promises, the relationship with God that only Israel or only the Jewish people had before is now available to everyone, to the Gentiles, to, to who, those who were formerly outsiders. In fact, just as a refresher here, let me read to you again at the end of Ephesians chapter two because it prompts what Paul will say at the beginning of three. In Ephesians 2.17, talking about this unity or the solidarity that we have in Jesus, he says, and he, that's Jesus, he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. By the Spirit. What he's saying here is that there are no more outsiders. In Christ, we are all included. We're all insiders. We're all recipients of that access to God, those promises, that inheritance. He's going to double down on that in three here. But he says there at the end of two that you and I, no matter who we are, no matter where we come from, are like stones and we're being built together into a structure, a place where God resides god no longer resides in the temple in the holy of holies the way he did in the old testament now god resides both in us individually but what he's emphasizing here is that god is on display in us corporately in our togetherness and so he's stirred by what he's just articulated and as we come to ephesians chapter 3 i think he's going to pray for us right he says uh, for this reason i paul a prisoner of christ jesus on behalf of you gentiles i think he's going to say Pray for you, because look, if you jump down to verse 14, he says, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father. He comes back to it, but there's a digression here in verses 2 through 13. So being stirred by this idea of unity, he's about to pray for us. He's about to pray for the church, that we would be rooted and established in the love of God, that the Holy Spirit would give us strength. All these things we're going to look at next week when we actually look at that prayer. But before he gets to the prayer, he's interrupted in his thinking as he reflects upon who he is, and what he's been given, and what he's doing with what he's been given. Now it's Mother's Day today. I know Christina already said Happy Mother's Day. She already mentioned that we recognize that for some of you Mother's Day is a difficult day. But there's something interesting about about mothering, I think, in that I think sometimes, I don't know, I don't know what it's like to be a mom, because I'm not a mom. But I would guess that for many moms, you you probably at one point or another feel like you get a little bit lost in that job, right? You grew up, uh, you went to school, you got your degrees, you have all these experiences, and then you have these kids, and it's almost like your whole life becomes Momhood, right? That sort of everything else about you kind of gets, uh, it, it sort of becomes secondary to your momness. I, I've seen those uh, those posts online about, you know, when when pe- teachers at school will ask kids, "Hey, you know, what's your mom's favorite meal? What's your mom's favorite meal?" And they'll write macaroni and cheese with hot dogs cut up in it, right? And we know there's no mom for whom that's. I mean, I doubt there's a mom for whom that's a favorite meal. But, but the kids have that perception because moms make all these great dishes for kids. Um, when you start to ask kids, well, what's your mom's hobby? Or what are the things your mom's into? A lot of times, those things have nothing to do with what moms are actually into, but rather have to do with the choices that moms have made in service of someone other than themselves. Kids and families, uh, I, I would love for you this morning, if you're sitting in a room, wherever you're at, if you're sitting in a room with a mom in it, I would love for you just to turn and to look at that woman, right? To look at that woman who faithfully serves and gives. If you're not in a room with a mom, I would love for you to picture your mom in your mind. She might be on another side of the country. She might be in heaven. I want you to picture her, and I want you to think about all that she gave and served, right? We celebrate moms on Mother's Day because in many ways, they've sort of set aside their own desires. They've set aside their own passions in service of someone else, Paul here begins to pray, and he stops and digresses because he wants to explain to his readers and to us who he is and what he's been given. He starts here in verse 1 by saying, for this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, he says, he's gonna say, I, I get on my knees for you. But listen to the way he describes himself because we know that he's in prison in Rome. That We know that he's been there for about five years. You can read the story of that. In uh, Acts chapter 22 and 23, uh, Paul goes to declare this message of solidarity, that there are no more outsiders, that the Gentiles are being invited into fellowship with God. And when he declares that message in Acts 22 and 23, the Jewish people go crazy Because they want to hold on to their divisions, they want to hold on to their status, they want to hold on to their eliteness, and so they have Paul thrown into jail. And when he writes the book of Ephesus, he's still, uh, write the book of Ephesians, he's still in prison, and so he identifies as a prisoner. But I want you to see here that while he is positionally a prisoner in Rome, note here that he doesn't say, Paul a prisoner of the Jews who who got him arrested. He doesn't say I am a prisoner of the Romans who were technically his jailers. No what he says is I Paul a prisoner of Christ Jesus, or your, your translation might say a prisoner for Christ Jesus, the sentiment there is the same. He recognizes that while he might be uh, being uh, you know, held by the Romans, he might have been put in jail by the accusations of the Jews, that at the base level, every other position he has is subjected to the fact that he is first and foremost a servant of Christ Jesus, You know, I don't know how you see yourself. I don't know how you perceive your circumstances these days. But there is a great reminder for us, even in him identifying who he is recognizing that whether you're a teacher or whether you're a plumber or whether you're a stay-at-home dad or whether you're an architect or whether you're an attorney, whatever you are, at the very most fundamental level, we find peace when we recognize that whoever we are and wherever we are and in whatever circumstance we find ourselves, we can be in that circumstance for and of the Lord Jesus. Yes, he's in prison. Yes, he's been there for a long time. Yes, he doesn't know when he's going to get out of there. But he wants his readers to remember that he's not a prisoner of Rome or of the Jewish people. He's Jesus' prisoner. He's there. Why? He says, in identifying who he is, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, on behalf of the outsiders. Paul says here, I am a prisoner because of my passion For someone else. I think this is a great text for Mother's Day. Because again, I would guess there are probably some moms who feel a little bit locked down these days in your house with your kids and your families and all of the responsibilities and obligations. And you're not there because you chose that. You're there because those people are more important to you than yourself. If Paul had wanted to avoid prison, he could have ignored the calling of Jesus upon his life. If Paul had wanted to avoid prison, he could have ignored the message that God had given him to declare. If Paul had wanted to avoid prison, he could have not shared with the outsiders that because of Christ they could be insiders. And yet he recognizes that his imprisonment is in service both of Christ and by Christ, and is because of his passion for other people you can read that story like I said in Acts 22 and 23 he's a prisoner of Christ on behalf of all the outsiders arrested for declaring the new and undivided humanity we find in Jesus not only does he tell us who he is but as he digresses he wants to remind them that they don't need to feel sorry for him in fact we'll see that at the end here in 13 he tells them you don't need to worry about me even though I'm in prison you don't need to worry about me because I'm here for a reason and he's going to explain that reason, not only by telling us who he is, but by telling us what he's been given. Let's look at these verses. Let's look at verses uh, two through six specifically. He says, assuming, he says, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. He says, I'm a prisoner of Jesus on your behalf. And he says, I assume you've heard about the stewardship that was given to me Of God's grace, stewardship of God's grace for you. Well, presumably, yeah, these people had heard about the stewardship of God's grace that was given to him because they're recipients of that grace. They received the message of grace from him. So, yeah, they're aware of it. But he says, assuming that you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Paul not only tells us who he is, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of the outsider, but now he tells us what he was given. He was given a stewardship. A stewardship of God's grace was given to him. But that stewardship of God's grace was not just given to him for him to hold on to or to hunker down and preserve. The stewardship of God's grace was given to him for other people. He's been given God's grace in order to pass it to others. He says he was given that grace or that stewardship both by revelation, we see that in verse 3, and by power. You see it in verse 7. He says, Of this gospel, in verse 7, of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace which was given me by the working of his power. So he says, the grace of God, which makes all outsiders insiders, which grasps the Gentiles into the promises and covenants of Israel. He says, that grace that was declared to me came to me through revelation. It's not something I invented. It's not something I came up with in my study or while I was on a trip. He says, no, it was given to me by divine revelation. God revealed that truth to me. And not only did he reveal it to me through revelation, he revealed it to me in power. It was given to me through revelation and power, this stewardship of the grace of God for others. And he says in this text, verse 3, that the mystery was made known to him that had been kept hidden for generations. Now, the word mystery here is not the idea of a mystery that has to be solved or something dark and sort of secret. The idea is of something that could not otherwise be known unless you had been instructed in it by someone. There is a truth that is revealed in the gospel of Jesus that could not have been known and is not revealed in the rest of nature. And it's this unity we have in Christ. This mystery he's talking about is not something that's only for a a small group of people to understand, but it is not something that we can understand in our own devices. We only understand it because it has been revealed to us by God through revelation and power. He says, it was given to me, this mystery, it's been revealed to the apostles. You can read that story in Acts also. It was revealed to the apostles and the prophets. All right, this mystery. So what is the mystery he's talking about? He's a steward of God's grace for other people. The mystery of the gospel has been revealed to him. Well, he tells us right here in the text, and by the way, Paul talks about this mystery in a lot of his different writings, but specifically tells us what the mystery is that he's been made a steward of. Look at verse six. says it very plainly. He says, this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs Members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Not only has he told us who he is, he's a prisoner of Christ Jesus in service of the outsider, but now he tells us what he's been given. He's been given a stewardship of the grace of God for other people in declaring a mystery that can only be understood because of the revelation of God in power. He says, the mystery is this, and it's actually quite simple. So if you're waiting on the edge of your seat to find out this secret mystery, it's not super complicated. In fact, I've already said it several times this morning. The mystery that Paul is a steward of in the grace of God to declare to the outsiders is that in Christ there are no more outsiders. There is no more division. There is no more separation. I'll point you back to what we just read in Ephesians chapter 2. He's already said it. He says, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. The mystery that he's talking about is that there is no longer a division between Jews and Gentiles, between insiders and outsiders, between religious people and the uninitiated. God breaks down all those walls. In fact, he says in 6, he gives us three categories. He says, the mystery is this, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs. What does that mean? It means that all mankind, all womankind, every person on the planet, no matter where they're from, no matter what their background is, no matter what kind of money they have, no matter what political affiliation, everyone has the potential to be part of the same family. We're meant to be family. Fellow heirs, inheritors of the same thing. What does that mean? It means brothers and sisters. I grew up in a church tradition in Arizona, a Baptist church tradition where people referred to each other as brother this or sister that. And to be honest with you, it was a little creepy. Like you'd see, and they'd be like, hi, brother John. Hey, brother Garrett. Hey, sister Stephanie. You know, whatever. And it was was a was a little weird, right? But the sentiment behind that is biblical. The sentiment behind that is that in Christ, we aren't just friends. We're not just people who gather together to study God's word. We're not just a Bible study group. All of us, no matter who we are, no matter where we come from, are family. Not only are we co-heirs, he says all those outsiders now are family. Not only that, they're members of the same body. And here he invents a word. There's a word he uses here for being members of the same body that doesn't exist in classic Greek literature or any place else. But the idea is that not only are we family, but we're, we are essential to one another. Essential, united in our diversity. The picture of a body in scripture is really clear. The idea is that we're not all the same. A body has hands and legs and feet and noses and ears and eyes and whatever and you need all those pieces working in harmony in order for the body to function properly. He's not just saying that we're family, but he's also saying that each of us are united in our diversity. We don't lose our diversity when we when we when we come to Christ, we don't all become noses or all become arms or all become feet. We retain that individuality, but it is given a purpose in unity under the head, which is Christ, which you've already heard him talk about in the text. Every person who considers themselves an outsider in Christ can be family. In Christ can be part of a body where what makes you unique actually serves a purpose and a function under the head who is Christ. Not only are we family, not only are we body, but the last thing he says is the Gentiles are fellow heirs, they're members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel, partakers or sharers in the promise, the promise of a Messiah, the promise of redemption, the promise of God's power. What does it mean, this last piece? Not only are we family, not only are we united in our diversity as a body, but we're equal. We're equal. We're equal partakers in the promise of God. In case you've sort of forgotten some of those promises of God, let me remind you what he talks about in Ephesians chapter one. We studied this a few weeks ago. The mystery of Christ that Paul is a steward of by the grace of God for the Gentiles, the the mystery of Christ that Paul is imprisoned for, is that there are no more outsiders. In Christ, we are family. In Christ, we are body. In Christ, we are equal partakers in the promises of God, in His grace and in His love and in His kindness, in His redemption, in His access. That we are all, what he says there in Ephesians chapter 1, I just read it, but essentially what he's saying is that all, all things are being summed up in Jesus. They all add up to Jesus. So there is no more hierarchy. There is no more, you know, some people have a secret access. Some people are inheritors of a better promise, or they're inheritors of some kind of greater redemption. No, no, no. Across the board, no matter who you are, no matter where you come from, in Christ, family, body, equals partakers in the promise of the messiah that's what he's been given that's what he's been given in fact in 7 he says of this gospel and note here by the way that his gospel is not just an individualistic thing it's a united thing we make a mistake sometimes in our christian practice when we make the gospel of jesus a purely individualistic thing when we go hey the gospel of jesus is do you want to go to heaven when you die Hey, do you want to have your sins forgiven? Hey, do you want to have your prayers answered? Do you want to walk on streets of gold? Whatever. It's not just about personal redemption. The gospel of Christ is also about our unity, about the eradication of the things that divide us, that we are all summed up in Jesus. That's the mystery that cannot be revealed through natural means, but has been revealed by God through his power. Paul says, I'm a steward of that. I'm a steward of inviting people who think themselves outsiders to recognize that in Christ there is no such thing. So what does he do with it? What does he do with what he's been given? It's a good question. He tells us, he says in seven, of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace. That word minister there, by the way, doesn't mean uh, somebody who works in a church, right? It's not a professional Christian. The word minister there is the word diakonos, which just means servant. It actually was relatable to the idea of someone who waits tables for Jesus, right? He says, of this gospel, the gospel both of personal redemption, but of corporate unity. Of this gospel, I was made a waiter, a servant, according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. And here's what he did with what he's been given. He says, to me... Though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Paul's told us who he is. He's a prisoner of Jesus on behalf of the outsider. He's told us what he's been given By the revelation and power of God, he's been given access to a mystery, the mystery that there is no more outsider in Christ, that all men and women can be family, can be body, can be equal in Christ. He says, I was made a servant of that truth by the grace of God, even though, he says here, I'm the least of the least. By the way, uh, once again, he uses a word here that isn't actually possible to use. In the original language, he essentially refers to himself as the leaster of the least, right? I'm leaster. He's talking about low. By the way, this isn't false humility, right? He's not, he's not like groveling for the sake of pe- people being like, oh no, Paul, you're good, you're great, you're fine, whatever. No, he's, he's making a point here that even though he was a persecutor of the church, even though he was a person who was spreading division and hatred and murder, even though he at one time was a strong champion of saying, we're insiders and you're outsiders, he says look i, I don 't deserve the mystery i don 't deserve the grace. I am the leaster of all people who should be made a waiter of the of the, the great God, the truth that he gives. but he said, even though i 'm the leaster i 'm going to take what i 've been given and i 'm going to preach it to other people i 'm going to take what i 've been given and i 'm going to preach it to other people. You know I, I think our whole culture right now is kind of weighted with baited, waiting with bated breath." For a vaccine or a cure, right? For this COVID thing, I don't want to make everything about COVID, but there's a there's a decent illustration here. We're waiting. The scientists around the world, you know, some of these even national companies or or countries are pursuing a vaccine or they're pursuing a cure. We'd love that. When we would change everything if all of a sudden there was a cure for the coronavirus. But can you imagine if in a lab somewhere in Denmark or a lab somewhere in Mexico City or a lab somewhere in Japan or wherever, there was a scientist who found the cure, right? He, he looks through his microscope and he sees it and he goes, yes, here it is, I've got it, I've got the cure. And he goes back home to his house and he shares it with his wife, he shares it with his kids, and then he locks it in a cabinet. I mean, the audacity of that, right? the idea that someone would find a cure and not share it with their fellow man, that they would hold it to themselves, that they would keep it to themselves, certainly celebrating alone, certainly happy they're not gonna die, certainly happy they're not gonna get sick, but to hold on to that cure would be outrageous. It would be inhumane. Yet many of us who are watching the podcast or the the stream or the service today have been given the gift of resurrection life through the death, the shed blood of Christ. Through his resurrection and his grace, we've been given the cure to the one thing that ails every person on the planet, and that is sin. And yet for many of us, we're just happy we got it. We're just happy we have it. I'm a servant of Jesus, and I've been given resurrection life. Good for me. No, Paul says, like, I can't just keep it. I've been given this grace. This mystery's been revealed to me that there are no more outsiders And as the least of the least, as the leaster of all people who deserve to be a servant of this message, I have to preach. Here's what he says he does with what he's been given. He says, of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace which was given to me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Kids, if you're following along this morning... Uh, if you printed out the coloring page, there's a treasure chest on it, right? The unsearchable riches of Christ. The picture there of unsearchable is, is not that we can't know something of it, but that in some ways it's inexhaustible, that we'll never fully realize the riches of Christ, those things that we read about in, in Ephesians chapter one, that we've been saved, that we've been redeemed, that we've been called, that we've been lifted up and sat at the right hand of Christ. We we can kind of get our brain around it, but the the idea of the The unsearchable riches of Christ is the idea of dropping a line into a deep chasm in the ocean and it never hitting the bottom so that you can get a measurement. That's how deep the riches of God's grace and love are in Christ. He says, to me, I have to preach that to the Gentiles because they think they're outsiders. Because they think they're separated. They think there's no hope for them. They think they're too far gone. They think they're too broken. They think they're too nasty of a sinner. And so for me, as the least of the least of the leaster, I gotta be a guy who tells the outsider, you don't have to be an outsider. You can be family and body and equal in Christ. Not only does he proclaim the unsearchable riches of Jesus to the Gentiles or the outsider, but he also does this, he says in verse 9, and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God, who created all things. He says, not only am I telling the outsider, you don't have to be an outsider anymore, but I'm saying to everyone that the mystery of the gospel of God is not that it just changes us individually, but that it makes us something corporately. He says, I got a message for the outsider, and it is that you don't have to be an outsider anymore, and I got a message for everyone, and it's that part of the mystery of God is that we are meant to lay down our individualism and become united in Christ. That's the mystery of God through the ages. Not only that, he says, I proclaim to the Gentiles, they don't have to be outsiders, I proclaim to everyone, I enlighten to them, the mystery that was hidden for ages, so that, here's the purpose of that in verse 10, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This is an interesting passage, an interesting idea, but what Paul is essentially saying is this, not only as the least of all men do I go to the Gentiles and say, there, there is no outsider anymore in Christ. Christ. I look at everybody, the the Jewish people, the Gentile, the religious, the non-religious, and I say, in Christ, there should be no division. That's the mystery of what God is trying to do in the gospel. I declare that to everyone, and I do that. I declare those things so that God's wisdom in its manifold beauty, the word manifold there is the idea of a multicolored tapestry or a painting, that in its diversity, there is beauty. He says, when all of these people from all of these different places, with all of these backgrounds, and all these skin colors, and all these socioeconomic backgrounds, and all these political stances, when these people become united in Christ, it not only changes their lives, it not only changes their unity, but it declares something to the heavens, to the spiritual realms about God's wisdom, and it's multicolored And manifold wisdom. What's he saying? He's saying that angelic beings, spiritual beings, both good and bad, in my opinion, look at the church and learn something about God's wisdom. Think about that for a second. That they look at our unity, even though we're all different, even though we come from different places. The angels in heaven look at us united in Christ when we've set aside all the things that could otherwise divide us. And they learn something about God from us. It's it's part of what it means for us to be the fullness of him who fills all things. Not only that, think about satanic beings. Think about demons. Think about fallen angels. Everything they're doing is to try and divide us. Think about the kingdoms of this world. The kingdoms of this world that are guided and led by satanic forces are in uh, the pursuit of division and injustice and greed and hatred and selfishness and self-preservation. These are the things that the demonic forces model and encourage in mankind. Look around the world and see the division. Look at your history book and see how men have constantly been at each other's throats and continue to be to this day. The church is meant to be a haven from that. It's meant to be an embassy of the future where the peace of God is on display to those demonic forces that they could see that God's wisdom is greater than their wickedness. We are meant to be a showcase of God's multicolored tapestry of wisdom and the diversity of his people locking arms together. Paul says, this is who I am, this is what I've been given, and this is what I do with it. What I do with it is is I declare it To the outsider, to the insider, and in our unity, we are declaring things to the heavenly realms about God. Look at the way he closes this passage. He says in verse 10, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. This declaration of his multicolored tapestry of wisdom in us, the church, was part of his eternal purpose. That means that our unity is central to God's plan on the earth. Our unity in sacrifice is essential to the gospel. It's central to the gospel. This was according to the eternal purpose that he realized in Christ Jesus our Lord in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. He's talking here about the fact that the church is more than a building. We talk about this all the time but the church is made up of a priesthood of believers. Every person who is a follower of Jesus, every person who is in Christ is a priest, is a saint, is a minister, right? A waiter of Christ Jesus is a steward of the grace of God that they have received on behalf of other people. He says, we, all of us, have access and boldness to speak to God, to approach God. I'm reminded of what we studied when we were in Hebrews, right? Hebrews four sixteen says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Hebrews 10, 19 says, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of god let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water you and i are the are the priests we are the ministers we are the stewards of god's grace you know one one of the things that we combat all the time and this won't be new to you but one of the things we combat all the time is the idea that what happens here for 80 minutes on a sunday morning is church it isn't. You're not missing church this morning and you're not you're not going to church because you're watching the live stream. The church is not a service. The church is not a gathering. It's certainly not a building. You've heard that plenty of times. The church is a collection of people. The church is a family. The church is a body. It's the gathering of equals who could be divided, but in their unity are declaring the multicolored tapestry of God. He says it's through the purpose of God and his grace that's been given to us that each of us have access with boldness to God. You know, I've been thinking a lot in this last season, and I don't want to get too far down this rabbit trail, but I've been thinking a lot about how much we miss gathering on a Sunday. And what an obstacle that feels like. Can I tell you in the last two weeks, God has changed my thinking on that. Not that I don't want to see you or I don't want to be together with you. I absolutely do. But this separation is not an obstacle to us being the church. It's an opportunity for us to redefine and recalibrate what the church is. I can tell from the things that you've said to me. I've gotten some letters from some of you. That the most important thing to you is getting together for 80 minutes. Uh, You'd probably like it better if it was 60 minutes on a Sunday, right? getting together for 80 minutes. This feels like church to you. Can't wait to go back to church. Can I tell you what? Church is not a thing you go to. It's a people to whom you belong in Christ. It's not a thing you go to. It's a people to whom you belong. In this season, each and every one of us has the opportunity not to to go to church. That's not possible anyway. Don't go to church ever. This, This gathering on a Sunday is what? It's a mission briefing. It's a time for us to come together and worship jesus together to kind of get our marching orders from his word to share with one another what god is doing in our individual spheres and circles this word by the way the word that he uses for being a steward of god's grace for you that word steward is the word oikonomia oikonomia which is rooted in the word oikos oikos is your family it's your circle it's your peeps it's your posse it's your it's your sphere of influence Can I tell you that I I think this separation, although I'm, I'm excited for it to end whenever that happens, this separation has given us the opportunity to think anew about church, church that is us, not church that we go to. In this season, I would want to ask you the very same questions that Paul is declaring here. I want to ask you this. Who are you? Are you a prisoner of the Lord Jesus? Are you in quarantine of the Lord Jesus? Are you serving your families for the Lord Jesus? In this season, who are you? It's a good question. Let me ask you this not only who are you, what have you been given? Have you been given the mystery of God revealed in Christ? Both that He extends to us resurrection power by His grace and He tears down every wall of division that would separate us, so that in our unity we can declare the spiritual realms. That God is wiser than the wisdom of this age or any age that has come before or will come after? What have you been given? Who are you? What have you been given? And what are you doing with what you've been given? What are you doing with what you've been given? Are you just happy you're going to heaven? Are you just happy that you have God's grace? Are you just happy that that you're not an outsider, that you're an insider? If so, you've missed something that's central to the gospel. Central to the gospel is is that each and every one of us are supposed to be... Okonomia, and I'm not pronouncing that right. Greek scholars, don't send me an email. I know I messed it up. We're all meant to be stewards, house servants of our circle. So I want to give you a challenge as we finish this morning. We're going to build on this over the coming days and weeks. But I just want you to take a moment this morning, and I want you to identify who's in your circle. Who are your peeps? Kids, if you're listening to this today, Who are the people that you're interacting with on a regular basis? Maybe it's on a video game or maybe it's on a Zoom call or maybe it's standing on the sidewalk shouting across the street. Young people, who are those who have the the closest view of your life? Adults, leaders, people who are brand new to Jesus. Who's in your circle? Is it possible that those people are going to church even though you didn't think they were going to church? They're not coming here but they're going to church when they interact with you. We have been called to be stewards of the grace of God, to be servants, waiters, ministers. This isn't church. Church isn't something you go to. It's a people to whom you belong. I want you to think this week about who's in your circle. Who, Who is it that has eyes on your life? Who is it that you can be declaring that there are no more outsiders who is it to whom you can be investing? I, I, you may have people in your circle, and I don't know how big your circle is. Maybe right now your circle is greatly reduced. Maybe it's your kids and your spouse, or maybe it's your mom or your dad, or maybe it's just a, you know, a small group of people. And some of those people might consider themselves outsiders. They might not know Christ. Are you taking this opportunity in this season to bring them to church, not, not to this building, but into proximity with you, a steward of the grace of God? Identify who your circle is. And then kind of figure out what's next. The way to do that, pray for them. It says here we have boldness and access to the throne of God. It's talking about prayer. Paul is gonna continue here by praying. He's gonna continue by praying for these churches that they would be rooted and established in the love of God. Identify your circle and then be praying for them. That's all I want you to do this week. I want you to take a piece of paper, take a note card, find find a blank sheet of paper, type it on a Word document, I don't care. But I want you to prayerfully consider who God has put in your life. Because you and I, are servants of Christ, prisoners of the Lord Jesus, no matter what our circumstance. We've been given so much so that we would give it away. He finishes this section in verse 13 of Ephesians chapter 3 of saying this, so I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory. He, He looks at them and he says, I know you look at me and you see me, a prisoner in Rome, and you might be tempted to feel like something's gone wrong. Can I tell you nothing's gone wrong? Because being a prisoner in Rome does not prevent me from being a steward of God's grace. Being a prisoner in Rome does not prevent me from being a minister of the gospel. And the same thing is true for you. No matter what your circumstance, no matter what your life looks like today, nothing in your circumstance can prevent you from being the church, from being a steward of God's grace, from being a minister of the gospel. That's not something that only I am called to. It's something that all of us are called to. So think about your circle, be prayerful about them this week, and let's begin to process what it looks like for us to have and to give in the same way that Paul received and gave. Would you pray with me? God, I pray that you would stir in us a passion, not to go to church, not to be able to go to church again. In fact, God, I pray... That by your supernatural power, you would eradicate that concept from our minds during the season. That you would take it off the table entirely. That never again in the history of our lives will we think about going to church. God, would you help us to understand that we are the church and that the church is central to your eternal purpose to declare your wisdom by uniting all people in Christ that when we put our faith in you, we are united in Christ and there is no more an outsider. There's only family and body an equal partaker in the promises of God. Take away our old, unbiblical view of what the church is and give us your view that we, we, your church, are central to your purpose in time to reveal Christ. We pray that in Jesus' name, amen.